0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. How are we doing? So uh, I was at the back kind of watching all of that, and uh, this is what I observed. These folks up here are about a 10, you're about a 3. About uh, three, you know, kind of. No, now listen, I could feel it when they said "stand up." You were like, "How would you rate Dave?" See that? Because I I could feel when they said "stand up," you were like, "I just got comfortable." Just can't imagine. Hey, thank you for uh, coming and being a part of this eight o'clock service. I know it's early for everybody, but. You're doing that missional thing, making room at that ten a m for everyone and uh, so thank you. we're going to keep it simple this morning, and it uh, doesn't mean we'll keep it short; it just means we'll keep it simple <laughs> and uh, think about a few things. I do need to tell you a few things. If you have not been around in a while, you may notice that uh, some things are happening here, uh, and uh, we are officially started under construction and Uh, We've been kind of holding out until after Easter, uh, and I think bulldozers will arrive this week, and uh, it's real possible that next week uh, you won't see any other building than just this one, and uh, the bathrooms will no longer be over there. They'll be portable and over there for the next few months. And so uh, thanks for the faithfulness, thanks for the excitement, thanks for everything you're doing. There is an official vote next Sunday. This is kind of that official announcement for the bylaws to let everybody know that. Members will be voting next week, but we're asking everybody to participate. We'll explain that a little bit more next week. And, uh, and so uh, we are officially taking the next steps to uh, secure all the funding that is necessary. And so the vote is a piece of that. So take note of all of that. And then I do want to remind you all of this while I have you captive on Easter Sunday. Uh, while we're having this great time raising money for Legacy, we're going to pay off this project in the next few Uh, a couple of years, Uh, we also want you to remember that we're still operating a church here. So tithes and offerings matter a lot to uh, the week-to-week stuff we're happening. So be super excited about everything, uh, but make sure we just take care of all of the things that are going on. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. What I desire for you is to leave behind the things that cause brokenness and hurt and pain and suffering, that cause you to live a half life, that cause you to live below the, the sense of joy and celebration. And it's not like life doesn't have enough circumstances to sort of push that down. But I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. I want you to excel. I want you to thrive. I want you to feel a deep sense of peace. I want you to feel a deep sense of purpose. I want you to feel like your life matters. I want you to feel like you matter. Your thoughts matter. The uniqueness of how you're created matters. I want you to have abundant life. In 2009, uh, ground was broken for a brand new hotel. It's actually a Christian pilgrimage house but it's really a hotel. And it was on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee, just north of the ancient city of Tiberias. And as construction began on this new hotel that had been in the plants for a number of decades, uh, they discovered that just beneath the surface was an ancient city. And so construction was halted, as often happens in Israel, and uh, archaeologists were brought in, and very shortly they discovered passageways They discovered fish tanks that were lined and finished. They discovered uh, a system of running water. And they were understanding as they sort of got into this archaeological uh, 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 discovery that what they were uncovering was probably the the center of the fish market for the Sea of Galilee in the first century. As they dug around, they subsequently found a, a first century synagogue. And inside that synagogue, there were coins dating into the Roman era, certainly uh, into the early years B.C. and into the New Year's A.D. But around uh, somewhere in there, they found a coin that was imprinted with an image of Jesus teaching in the synagogue. It dated to about 29 A.D., and so you're, you're immediately going, wait a minute, he didn't begin his official ministry until 30 A.D., so that can't be but remember, we think we're probably about four years off somewhere in the dating of the life of Christ. Probably he was born about 4 BC, which is interesting to be born four years before Christ. (laughs) And so what they had discovered was the ancient city of Magdala. Isn't it astonishing that That in all of the things that we think about in the modern world, we just think everything's already on the surface. We already know it all. But here's the ancient city of Magdala, such a a key city in the biblical story, in the biblical account. It's just a little south of Capernaum, Capernaum where Jesus lived during his ministry years. It's on that main road that connects the northern part of Israel down into the southern pieces in Jerusalem. The likelihood of jesus traversing that area well we know he taught there and we know because of mary of magdala mary magdalene mary was from magdala it was her hometown subsequently as the uh, city was uncovered as the archaeological dig sort of progressed uh, of course the first thing we have to do whenever we discover something like this is build a church and so they built a church uh, very near the shores of the Sea of Galilee, just to kind of to the east of the main part of the city. And that church is called Push Into the Deep, and, and it celebrates a couple of things. When you walk into that church, the first thing you'll notice is that uh, the altar is shaped like a boat. And so uh, there's a giant ship at the front of the church, and it's set in an infinity pool. So when you sit down in the sanctuary and you look at the altar, then you sort of have an infinity look out into the Sea of Galilee, and it kind of looks like the boat's floating on the Sea of Galilee, and it celebrates that moment that Jesus says to the disciples, put out into the deep. Because of Mary Magdalene and the city of Magdala, the, the chapel itself celebrates the women of the Bible. And when you enter the lobby of the church, it is surrounded by eight columns. And those eight columns each are dedicated to significant women. Seven are dedicated to significant women in the Bible. And the mosaics on the walls around it tell the story of these women. And then the eighth is for all the other women who believe in the context of the world. If you go downstairs from the lobby, you will be in what is called the Encounter Chapel. And the wall is dominated by a photo, by a picture, a painting of the woman who is reaching to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. The floor beneath your feet are the main cobblestones and walkways of the ancient fish market. They built a chapel around the ancient part of the city. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is mentioned by name more than any of the other characters of the New Testament. In fact, there are only a couple people who get more mention of her, and those are generally the people surrounding Jesus himself, his family, and that's generally because we're teach- teaching a lot of stories about Jesus that involves needing to mention Mary and Joseph and Mary Magdalene. She becomes this significant character. We're told several things about her let's look just for a moment together at luke eight after this jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of god the twelve were with him and also some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases mary called magdalene from whom seven demons had come out joanna the wife of chusa the manager of herod's household susanna And many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So, I don't know if you've ever noticed this little verse, this little passage, but what it tells us is a couple of things. First of all, it tells us about Mary and the Sam and Demons. You already all kind of thought about that maybe once or twice. But it also tells us that these prominent women were the ones who were supporting the ministry of Jesus. And so we figure that Mary had some wealth and some connection. We know that Joanna uh, belongs to the household, part of the ruling party. So these are fairly highly connected women who contribute significantly to the... If you ever wondered how did the disciples eat, how did they work, how did that all fit together? Well, people supported the ministries. And Luke's telling us that... These prominent women from this ancient city of Magdala have significance. And Mary was the one out of whom were cast seven demons. And so when we stop and we think about that, a couple of things happen. There was a pope in the 6th century who preached a sermon about Mary Magdalene, and he associated the seven demons with a promiscuous lifestyle. There is nothing in Scripture that suggests that Mary Magdalene had a promiscuous lifestyle. And we've been left with that legacy, and here's why that's important. Because seven demons probably don't really represent some kind of numerical tally. But seven is a perfect number in Scripture. And so scholars believe that what, what the authors are trying to say is Mary was completely overwhelmed by whatever it was in her life. She was completely without help. She was completely without support. Was it emotional, was it psychological, was it physical? In the day, demons were thought to cause everything. (laughs) But whatever it was. And when we associate her with this promiscuous lifestyle, we kind of go, okay, whatever. That doesn't apply to me, that's not my area. But if what it means is, here was a person who was completely overwhelmed by life. Here was a person who found it hard to function day to day. Here was a person For whom the thief had come to steal and kill and destroy. And maybe it was psychological. Maybe it was depression or anxiety. Maybe it was some other sort of sense of just an inner world that is constantly in turmoil. Maybe it was hopelessness at the political climate in which she lived. Maybe it was hopelessness at the condition of the world and the oppression of the Romans. Maybe it was all of that. Maybe it was physical. Maybe it was a physical kind of suffering that sucks the life out of us and and causes us to have a hard time feeling any sort of peace or hope. Maybe it was relational. Maybe her heart had been broken. Maybe it was a spouse who had left her. Maybe it was a child who she's estranged from. Or maybe it was grief and the loss of someone that she cared for. But she's characterized in this way. Seven Demons. She was overwhelmed by life. Whatever the root was, she found it difficult to function in her journey. And when Jesus came along to that little fishing village where she lived and thrived, and he shared a message of hope, she surrendered her life and found herself delivered in the process. Mary Magdalene. Mary in all four gospels is at the foot of the cross during the crucifixion. Mary, whether alone or with another group of women, is the first to discover the empty tomb. Mary, whether alone or with other women, is the first to see the resurrected Jesus. Let that sink in. It wasn't a disciple. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It wasn't James. It wasn't the inner circle, it wasn't the most popular people, it was Mary Magdalene. John's account is very vivid. It gives us sort of a sense of kind of the pace that goes on, so let's say, everybody doing okay? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> it's Easter. I'm not saying anything else, I'm just leaving it right there, you can... Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. By the way, the other disciple is John who's writing these words. Both were running, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, Also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Roboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Don't hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. John's a masterful storyteller, and so he's, he's offering us three kind of distinct scenes in which tied together by Mary herself. And the first scene is the scene in which Mary is gone to the tomb, and she's discovered the empty grave. And so we find her alone at the tomb. We find uh, uh, her discovering that something's not quite right, and so she, she goes from this scene, this opening moment where she's alone at the tomb. She transitions then back to the disciples, and she tells the disciples what's going on. We don't really track her very much during this little section, the second scene, is. The people that take precedence now are Peter and John, and they're rushing to the tomb. And they get to the tomb, and 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 John waits at the door, and Peter rushes in, and they discover the cloth there, and and they see, and and we're we're getting a lot of information about what's happening to John and his inner world, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and and he sees what's going on, and he believes, and then he adds a footnote in an editorial. We still didn't really get it. We. We believe that Jesus was risen, but we didn't really understand that that was supposed to happen according to the Scripture. It didn't all make sense to us, yet we had been hearing, but not really understanding all of it. And the disciples in confusion then leave the scene, and Mary remains alone. And now as she looks into the tomb in the third scene that John offers us, she sees Two angels sitting, one at the head and one at the foot. And they have a conversation about where Jesus is and who he is and what it means. And, and then she turns to speak to who she believes to be the gardener. And it's revealed that it's actually Jesus. They have a short conversation. And now Mary goes back to the disciples. And I love how the disciples respond to this news. Our women have told us that he is alive, but it seems like nonsense to us. (laughs) The great faith of the disciples. I, I see three things that I think matter so much when we think about the hope to which we have been invited and to which we have been called. The first one is this. It's a cosmic hope. It's a cosmic hope. I mean, when you got a scene like this, And you got angels showing up and and, and, and what we know theologically speaking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know about atonement for sin. And we know that, that if you just track the biblical story, if you just said, you know, over there in Genesis there was a garden. And then, you know, the revelation of God is unfolding and we have the story of Israel, and we have the law, and we have the exodus, and we have all the prophets and the kings, and, and the judges, and the narrative, and everything, and the promised land, and, uh, and, uh, and all of that. This is the climactic moment of the revelation of God and the salvation of human beings. That's pretty cosmic. I think sometimes when we come together on Easter, we we think about this reality, you know, and we'll hear people like me up talking about, you know, atonement and resurrection. and, And I think for a lot of us, we're like, man, but what does it have to do with me? What is this cosmic reality? I can accept it. I can believe it. I can understand what the church teaches. I can understand what the Bible teaches. But I don't know how that gets real specific for me at an emotional, practical level. But the Scripture wants us to understand it is a cosmic... There are things we don't necessarily understand about the implications of this resurrection no matter how hard we define it, no matter how much we work with it. We may not ever fully grasp all of the cosmic invocations. But it's not just a cosmic hope. It's also a community hope. I think Peter and John represent the fact that That it matters to this community of people. It matters within the context of this group of people who are now called disciples. But it matters in the larger context of who the Jews are and who the Messiah is. This story is not a little story that belongs in some cosmic place. This, This is a story that belongs to the community and it matters to the community. It represents something very important. It represents truth. It represents hope. It represents direction. It represents something foundational. It represents something that allows them to take hold of it and grasp it and believe in it and live for it and have purpose in it. And that matters. That matters. I don't know that I can explain all the cosmic implications, but down here on the community level, listen. We are living in a culture and in a world that is hurting for lack of purpose and lack of meaning and lack of understanding. And and in this moment, we have this community of believers who who hoped for something and then they got disappointed and then they hoped and then they got disappointed. But in this moment, there is this great affirmation of know what you thought is right, what you thought is on. Live for something greater than yourself. Find a purpose bigger than yourself. You are not created to perpetuate your own existence. You are perpetuated into a life in which you are bringing to life the kingdom of God on earth. And what does that mean? Does that mean you go to church? No. I mean, yes, but no. (laughs) I mean, I hope so. (laughs) No, it means we stand for what matters most love and grace and justice and mercy we live in a culture that has started to say well the the church is the one that's causing the problem and let's be honest church has caused a lot of problems can I get an amen Amen. yeah oh yeah we haven't carried this banner well Still, the highest concepts of what it means to be a fully functioning human being at the highest level are biblical ideals. Be people of grace. Love other people the way you love yourself. Whoever wants to be greatest among you must be the servant of all. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. By your love, one for another serve give share spend your life for something that matters this is not just a cosmic hope and sometimes we come to easter and we celebrate cosmic woo resurrection <laughs> but it's a community hope we live for it we die for it we sacrifice for it we move it forward jesus says when you pray i want you to pray this way our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's who we are. That's what we do. We go live the kingdom of God. And sometimes and sometimes, we have to check what our mouths are saying. And we have to check what our brains are complaining about. And we have to settle back in and say, I'm a kingdom person. I don't do that stuff. I don't act like that. I don't talk like that. I don't judge like that, I don't threaten like that, I'm not selfish like that, that's, that's not, when I get to heaven, if there's somebody like me there, it's not going to be good, amen? Okay, let's, let's, let's lighten that up, when I get to heaven, if there's somebody like me there acting like I'm acting today, is that better? I'm not going to be happy. I mean, it's okay for me, but I don't want other people acting like that. Isn't <laughs> it amazing how many times we say, I shouldn't say this, but then don't. This may offend you, but then shh. But don't we need to offend people sometime instead speaking the truth in love? Sometimes you've got to earn a lot of relational equity before you have permission to speak the truth into the lives of people you got to love them first. You've got to walk the journey with them first. You've got to pay some price of relational equity. This is a community hope. It gives us direction and purpose for how we live and what we do and what we do with the days of our lives. We're not just here to get up in the morning and feed ourselves and go home and, and, and get up tomorrow and do it all again. We are here to be the kingdom of God alive on earth, the best representation of a redeemed humanity that can be imagined on this earth. That's the kingdom of God. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. But it's not just a community hope. It's not just cosmic, and it's not just a community hope. It is also a personal hope. Because the cosmic and the community doesn't mean very much if the individual life can't be transformed. If I can't find help for what ails me, then I can't find a lot of hope about community and a lot of hope about the... Co- if, if all I am left with at the end of the day is some sort of community ideal and some sort of cosmic promise, then that doesn't mean much to me. But Mary Magdalene becomes this character. Why? Why is Mary so important? Why is she mentioned more than anyone else? Why does she take such a role of prominence? Why does John have her individually all alone as the witness to the resurrected Christ and the empty tomb? Why? Why is Mary going to get Peter and John? They're the lead characters in the story, not her. Except she's the one out of whom seven demons were cast. She's the one who was completely overwhelmed by whatever the nature of it was. Was it psychological? Was it physical? Was it relational? Whatever it was. This message woven into the gospel is that you can talk about the cosmic stuff and you can talk about the community stuff, but the individual person whose life is transformed is still what the cross of Jesus Christ is about. It's still about an individual saying, God, I need your help. I'm a perfect mess. (laughs) I'm a perfect mess. And the layers that make me who I am, I don't always like. And I feel broken, and I feel lost, and, and I feel... Afraid at times and I feel like I'm, don't, not, I'm not sure of my purpose and I'm not sure how. And this is not what I signed up for. And somewhere along the way, somebody over at church told me that if I love God, I'd have a perfect life and nothing would ever go wrong. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And we got disappointed and we got hurt. But the promise is not for a perfect life. The promise is just simply this. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. There will be so many things in life that threaten this. There will be so many things in life that threaten to kill and steal and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. And when you feel awful about your journey, then you confess and receive forgiveness. I'm about new birth and transformation I'm about new beginnings and fresh starts. I'm about the old being washed away and the new being given. I'm about getting up today and going, living a life in which you are celebrating the grace of a loving God who wraps his arms around you. Who stands at the door and knocks and, and says, if you'll let me in, I'll come in and we'll dine together. You'll have companionship and encouragement. And you've got to listen. You've got to be attentive. You can't be distracted. You can't let the whole The scope of life and the mundaneness of it and the noise of it distract you from what's deeply true. You are a spiritual being, and you know it. (laughs) And when you quiet yourself and you open your heart, I'll come in, and we'll talk about stuff, and we'll journey. And there'll be days when you have zero strength, and that's okay. I'll carry you. And there'll be other days when you get full of yourself and you run off, and then you'll fall down, and I'll come and pick you up and dust you off and say, It's all right. Let's not do that again. Probably not best for you. <laughs> but I will always love you, and I will always be about what's best for you, and I will always be willing to deliver you from what overwhelms you. That's the hope of Easter, that's the hope of resurrection. And you say, well, you don't know about my story. You don't know where I am. You don't know what happened to me. Well, here's the deal. Jesus died. So far, death is kind of the thing that's, uh, well, you don't really bounce back from that. You know what I'm saying? And don't you think resurrection means if, if the God who raised Jesus from the dead... That same power is available to you to resurrect whatever is dead in your story and in your life and in your heart and in your mind. You're not alone. It's a cosmic hope. Yeah, it's a community hope. We belong to something and it matters how we live and it matters what we do and it matters what we choose. But it's a personal hope. Can I pray over you? I'm going to ask the band and the choir to come back. God, we give you thanks. Thanks. We ask you on this day that you would speak into our hearts and minds and lives and journeys. Your word teaches us that anytime we bow our heads and invite you, you are willing to do work in us. So across this room on an Easter Sunday morning, maybe there are some folks that need a community kind of hope and a personal kind of hope. Would you just in these moments hear us as we open the door of our heart to you? Lord, here's some stuff that has been going on inside of me. Some stuff I've done and said and the fear and the hurt I don't know about the seven demons, but I could say I'm completely overwhelmed. And I don't want to celebrate another Easter of cosmic hope. I, I want to have purpose and meaning, and I want to have personal change. And I'm inviting you into my heart. I'm inviting you into my circumstances and into my fears My prayer for each of you today is that the peace of God that transcends all understanding would guard your hearts and minds. That the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or even imagine would pay very personal attention to you, to your story, to your journey, to your life, to your needs. God, we're so very thankful for what this day represents, and we do not take it lightly. I pray your richest grace and blessing over every one of these folks, and I pray that those who have made significant decisions would reach out to a pastor, a friend, that we would begin to walk a journey of community, hope together, and that we would see the power of your transformation. God, I lift this crowd to you and pray your blessing over them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And everybody said together, Amen. Will you stand up and celebrate this morning? God bless you. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.